0: Hi, Atkins. Hello, Todd Fredericks. Hey. New microphones and everything? No, the same microphones, just reorganized. it. I, my stands didn't come in. They're better stands, so this is pretty kludged up, but it should work. Uh, we just going to call Nigel. Hello. Hello, Nigel. He's not there yet. <laughs> you you so wanted sure. to say that, though, didn't you? I did. You definitely did. want to say it. If you need more light, you can have more light. I don't want any more light. It's a little early for us. It's early. It's way early. It's oh, dark early. Oh, what we do for the sake of the school. Oh, for Nigel. What we do for Nigel. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna get out that
1: pen. mm-hmm. Rotations is all about allowing interesting people the opportunity to share their opinions and ideas. Some listeners and viewers may find the ideas and content expressed disturbing or objectionable.
0: Okay, so you, so Sarah, today we're yes. going to talk to Nigel Alsop, <laughs> and Nigel Alsop is a character. This guy is all over the place. He's, he is right there. No, just, just so you know, he's the, right but there. the people listening don't know that yet because oh, okay, we're okay. going to artificially create an intro. <laughs> so, because we're already five minutes into this. So, anyway, Nigel. I don't know how i got connected with nigel all i know is i found nigel because we're, we're totally stalled on dogs of war okay. and uh excuse me i have allergies and i didn't take my claret this morning oh no I'm prepared. okay so anyway <laughs> sorry it's very rude but i have to do this otherwise oh, it'll, it'll be worse <laughs> uh so anyway there's never a dull moment no there's not so <laughs> nigel Shows up and I get to talking to Nigel and I say Nigel I'm just stuck because I'm trying to get this population of veterans with post traumatic stress mm-hmm. to talk about their relationship with their service animals and why yeah. it's so important. Yeah. And Nigel goes, Oh, I'll help you out. So he starts sending me like all these emails of people just all over the country, like people I've never even heard of, and I thought really? I was pretty well researched on this on this community, mm-hmm. and I'm not. And so it got it occurred to me that we called dogs of war dogs of war mm-hmm. because. I've worked with military working dogs and around them. I'm not a handler, but I've been around them a lot in Mm -hmm. Iraq and stuff. And people think about, they hear about combat dogs. Well, dogs of war is about these other dogs, the Mm -hmm. dogs that are the product of war, the service animals. But I think it's fair that for people to have a full treatment of this, that they understand about working dogs and Mm -hmm. they understand about... Uh, military working dogs and police canines and why there's a difference in these animals mm-hmm. and all the things they bring to the table in terms of how they he- help people keep us safe and look after us and so mm-hmm. that's why I asked you because I figured you would be uh, do you have much knowledge of dogs
1: um I have a lot of
0: animals Not you have a, a much pig I have, do I have, have a, a dog I have a pot belly pig you have cats no, I have seven cats but no dog no horses Four no, horses <laughs> again no dog ten chickens no dog and some ducks. Do you have a dog? No, <laughs> okay. I don't have a dog. So basically, so basically, basically, you are totally naive going into this.
1: Somewhat. I am old. So I've been around dogs.
0: <laughs> so what we're going to do is we're going to introduce Sarah and Nigel and myself. We have <laughs> Nigel's had we gave him a script of questions, as we always do, okay. because that's only okay. fair. So it's, there's no gotcha on okay. rotations. But we're going to take this episode. And, and I invited Sarah because I knew that she had no knowledge of dogs. Mm-hmm. And she's going to be able to ask questions as if she's a naive member of the audience. OK, okay so with that, I'm going to introduce Nigel Alsop. Yep. And Nigel, I want you to tell mm. us. Tell us about your background. Tell us about yourself, who you are and your background a little bit.
2: Okay, um, like you said, I've, I've uh, actually served uh, in the Defence Department as a, uh, a military working dog handler, both uh, in the New Zealand and the Australian Defence Force. Um, yeah, I've, I've, I did a tour of duty uh, as a military dog handler in a place called Mogadishu in Somalia and uh, a few other places um, in the sand. And um, so I have a sort of a working knowledge, I guess, of uh, military dogs. I took a break from... Uh, uh, for a number of years, about nine, actually, from uh, training dogs. And um, uh, one thing led to another, and uh, I became uh, the head elephant trainer <laughs> of uh, the Auckland Zoo and was um, trained elephants, uh, sea lions, um, and uh, various uh, animals and behavioural enrichment techniques. And um, got sort of reasonably well-known for my behavioural enrichment techniques, and I ended up teaching internationally in America and England the ways to look after captive animals or at least the way to uh, utilise their brains um, by giving them things to do, not training or tricks, but sort of behavioural enrichment uh, to sort of keep them uh, mentally active anyway. Uh, Anyway, when um, uh, September 11th happened uh, in the United States, uh, the Queensland Police uh, were after some experienced explosive detection handlers uh, because of, for obvious reasons, and um, so I, I went along to the police, and um, because of my 20 years' experience in that field, previously in the military, I signed up to the police, and then I've been a police explosive detection handler for about the last um, 14 years now. Wow!
0: Well, that's so, so. What was it that got you interested in in dogs and canines in the first place, Nigel? What was it? Was there a compelling love? Of well, I, I was
2: I was well, I was brought up on a farm. My my um, my, um, sort of, we had a family farm so I've literally always been um, um, around animals I mean, where we lived it was so cold. Mm -hmm. Um, As kids we used to, uh, sort of uh, take our gumboots off because we we didn't have socks and we used to put our feet in in hot cow manure just to warm our toes up (laughs) (laughs) between the snow and uh, so I've uh, sort of uh, lived around animals all my life and um, sort of uh the other thing i I, I I as a, sort of due to connections anyway, I, uh, as you know with my NORCO connections I've sort of travelled to the US and, and completed uh mounted police courses, both basic advanced and instructor level with the Californian uh, Mounted Officers Association. So I so I have a lot of horses as well as dogs um and, and do a bit of riding still, um, in my tender age. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, we need to we need to clarify for people listening. Norco, see in the United States, Norco is a narcotic. That so that is, uh, was,
1: every time he said that, I was like, Norco, Norco. Yeah, n- no.
0: So Norco <laughs> is a community in, in Southern California that is centered around equines and, and canines and therapy, and it's a very interesting and novel community. And we will probably be talking to some folks at Norco as part of this rotation series about what they do there. But just so you know, when Nigel talks about Norco, he's not talking about an, a controlled substance, he's talking about a community yeah. in California. I didn't think so. It's well, actually well, Norco, well, it's N-O-R-C-O. Wow. It's like the yeah. drug, right? So I mean. Well,
2: well, initial fact, if anyone ever listens from Australia, Norco is the major milk brand oh. here in Australia. It's uh, the primary dairy producer of milk.
0: <laughs> so, yeah, Such so, a wide use of the word Norco. We should talk to the Norco people <laughs> in California about branding. Should, sure, because like the Australians don't know what are you are, sure? and the Americans don't know what you are.
1: Let's have a discussion.
0: <laughs> well, so the yeah. other thing that uh, makes... Of course, uh, I,
2: I guess just to continue, uh, uh, I sort of, uh, now I'm the, uh, apart from uh, sort of still in the police for it, short period of time. I uh, longer. I actually run uh, Australia's largest uh, war animal or veteran animal association called AWAMO. Oh. Um, it's just an acronym standing for the Australian War Animal Memorial Organisation. And uh, we put in um, we put in memorials such as Smokey the War Dog brass statue, which we put here in Australia. A duplicate is when you go up and see Bill. He'll show you. Uh, Mm. Uh, the duplicate and this is where everyone comes in and of course it was made by, you guessed it, Susan Bahari and uh, so hence it, the uh, the connection and uh, Susan makes a lot of our uh, memorials mm. we don't only do them in Australia but we opened up the International War Animal Memorial in Poziers in France wow. in 2017 um, to honour all the allied uh, and the enemy and for that matter uh... animal the nine million animals that died in world war one and uh, again Susan Bahari um, built the uh, statue yeah I was going to mention that wow.
0: so, so also on my computer screen this morning Nigel mentioned the Australian Memorial Animals mm-hmm. uh, 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 Australian War Animals Memorial Organization there's a Facebook page it's actually very very compelling they've got a lot of good photographs mm-hmm. there's also the US War Dog Association uh, which has also got a Facebook page, all of them are more or less connected. And so uh, yeah. Nigel is a founder of the of the Australian War Animal Memorial Organization. Awesome. And so, Nigel, can you tell us a little bit about I, – I had the initial question, canines in the military, and I think it's important to talk about canines in the military, but tell us a little bit about just animals in the military because mm-hmm. I was recently in France, and, of course, I saw a lot of uh, World War I and World War II museums. You know, everything from, from – carrier pigeons to or passenger pigeons, I guess. I forget what kind of pigeon they were, but they're certainly yeah. messenger pigeons. Uh, horses, donkeys, what can you tell us about about animals and their relationship to people in war?
2: Yeah, look, um, for a start, I think um, I'd even separate that to two types of animals, that like combative animals like you just mentioned, such as uh, a cavalry horse or a, in Australia, a, lo- a mounted infantry horse. Mm-hmm. Um, you've obviously got other equines such as mules, donkeys, and even heavy horses, which did all the logistics, the burden, the backbone of the army. In fact, it's fair to say, no, World War One would not have been able to be fought uh, if it wasn't for the equine, carrying everything from supplies uh, up to the front to obviously the wounded uh, to the rear. So that's definite. Um, you've got the messenger pigeons, which um, have got some great history. In fact, more pigeons... Um, have won the Dickens Medal, the equivalent of the animal VCs than any other animal. Mm-hmm. But um, these are the... And, and, of course, you've got the, the war dogs, which had several roles in World War One. Uh, they had scout dogs, guard dogs, of course. Um, some of them were used uh, as casualty dogs that would go out into no-man's land, which was very dangerous, um, retrieve or, or bark next to a wounded person, uh, allowing... Um, the medics to go forward just to the white person, not the dead person, and and um, rehabilitate or, or return that man safely to the trenches. Um, mm-hmm. But the second group of animals, which perhaps in a lot of cases go unnoticed, are the mascots, and by far they were probably the most common animal on the Western Front. Was a mascot ranging from a, a canary to a to a um, uh, an injured animal of any description. Um, in fact, um, I think I told you um, once before that the, uh, there was one particular guy called Hume that had a collection of animals and um, it, it uh, so impressed that his mate uh, that uh, he would have this relationship uh, with animals. When he returned to the United States, he wrote a book called Dr. Doodle from um, oh. World War I and there's uh, many other stories like that. I mean, I mentioned canaries before. Canaries were used. Uh, down the mines and the tunnels due to their receptors. uh, They would smell the gas and uh, fall off the perch. And when the bird fell off the perch, it was time to to get out of the hole. Um, And um, a lot of them, you know, sort of ended up becoming pets. A lot of nurses, and this is perhaps the first use of the inkling of PTSD or assistance dogs, a lot of um, nurses used to grab uh, dogs uh, and uh, have them running around the hospitals. In Australia, Australian nurses um, took kangaroos uh, to World War I. In fact, um, at one stage, there were, there were so many kangaroos and wallabies in Egypt, they all had to be rounded up and put into a zoo. In fact, in the highlands of France now, um, there's a small population of kangaroos because so many soldiers had them in World War I. They let them go.
0: There, there, there's kangaroos hopping around Egypt?
2: Yeah, are still around Egypt. Wow, most of them were rounded up, and um, but they uh, they can be occasionally seen. Yeah,
0: wow. a war kangaroo. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> Who thinks about that? The people in Akron. So the University of Akron's mascot is a kangaroo here in Ohio. So I'm, I think they'll be very uh, proud Canada. to know that their their mascot has combat experience. And it's one of the only war yeah, right? kangaroo. <laughs> so, so this is, see this is the thing people don't understand this. And so animals have been of all types of uh, and varieties have been going into combat and serving and providing a very variety of services for people in very trying times. Mm-hmm. And so you kind of mentioned this, Nigel, about the jobs they traditionally done, certainly the logistics. Um, and I think it would be unfair not to mention um, canines, not just war canines, but also police canines. What are, what are the kind of jobs that these animals do for us mm-hmm. uh, in the service of yeah. police and security?
2: Yeah, well, um, that, that's a great point, obviously, and, and particularly uh, nowadays, um, uh or even though, you know, yesteryear from World War One, um, right up to present day. In fact, you know, particularly in America, police canines are probably at the front of anti terrorism, um, homeland defence. Um you have if I if I wrap all the police canines into the word law enforcement, so I cover customs and uh immigration mm-hmm. dogs and things like that. You you've obviously got dogs at the borders, um, both, uh your borders Mexico and Canada. Uh, obviously uh dogs there are narcotic detection dogs they have dogs that detect uh, obviously human trafficking um and you have dogs that uh, search for explosives or what they call feds firearm detection dogs for the illegal um smuggling of of weapons and, and ammunition very important for homeland uh, defense of course uh in my country and every other country that has police dogs you have the stereotypical um, police dog that you see barking in the back of a car when you arrive at a scene, that dog is obviously designed to bite people. That's its uh, mother, separandi. And But, you know, they're usually well controlled and most police dog handlers, certainly in my country, all have to be married and the dogs are housed at home. So they have to have a, a fairly stable sort of personality. Um, they also, those same dogs, track people down. Not just criminals, there's a child that's lost in the forest or perhaps in the desert, uh, these dogs are trained to uh, track uh, children or human beings down. Um, they also can be uh, used uh, in urban search and rescue called USAR dogs uh, in such things as, um, you know, avalanches. They're used in the snow to detect uh, scares. And and sadly, probably the only dog you don't want to meet is a cadaver dog, uh, for obvious reasons. And uh, they're trained, uh, uh, obviously, to uh, find scent odour of deceased person. So there was a myriad of of skills that uh, dogs have. And they're usually um, uh, only trained in most countries for one of those particular skills. For example, it would be silly to have a narcotic detection dog also being able to find explosives because you'd never know which one um, that he was telling you he found. Uh, One might find you some drugs, the other one would be very dangerous. So they
0: usually stick to one particular specialty. Mm. So, Nigel, I, I, I kind of jumped ahead a little bit. I'm thinking about, we you mentioned earlier mascots, and we're going to keep going on the other side of the working animal thing, sure. but on the mascots. But So you mentioned Dr. Doolittle, but there's also a mascot that went to World War I, which is surprising to me, mm-hmm. uh, a Canadian that everybody's yeah. familiar with. And, and can you tell us about yeah. that mascot?
2: Yeah, sure. Obviously the uh, story starts off with the, in Canada, um, and a, uh, a unit called the Winnipeg uh, Regiment um, was traveling to, to France, um, and a young officer there, a veterinary officer, um, saw a bear cub uh, that had been a trapper had killed its mother, and uh, he'd purchased this black bear um, for $20 Canadian dollars. Uh, what's that worth? five American? No. Just kidding. Probably, yeah. yeah. (laughs) Uh, And uh, he brought brought this for $20 and uh, took it over uh, as part of the uh, regiment. Unfortunately, you can imagine a young bear um, on the Somme wouldn't last very long with all the horrible sort of uh, noise and and that. So anyway, the short story is they placed uh, this bear in the London Zoo and uh, the regiment, through the war years, would, uh, members would go and see it. It was a much-loved much, much loved, a Canadian mascot. Mm-hmm. There was another uh, uh, young boy that used to um, go and visit the bear with his father, a guy called Milne. Uh, the son's name was a guy called Christopher Robin. Mm-hmm. And, of course, they, made, they renamed the bear, and Winnie the Pooh, here you come.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I think it's interesting, you know, how much war animals have affected us in popular culture, mm-hmm. and people don't even realize it. <clears throat> this cute little yellow yeah. bear who wants to go find honeypots is actually patterned after a bear that was taken to Europe during World War One as a mascot for a, a military regiment. Mm-hmm. And, you know... Now is one of the most beloved childhood characters in the on the planet, and and it it, it it's a and Winnie is a is a veteran. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah absolutely. Winnie, Winnie was think, rear I support. He was. R- wow. Winnie was yeah. morale support in the rear is what <laughs> Winnie was. I love it. Yeah.
2: Yeah. 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 Uh, well, I mean, uh, one one of perhaps the most famous and most highly decorated uh, American animals, um, in actual fact, was a, a pigeon, a war pigeon called Sarah oh. And Cher uh, Me in, in World War I was the bird responsible for taking the message back of the famous American Lost Battalion uh, in, in, the, in the forest there, um, in France, or by Belgium, border of Belgium. And uh, anyway, the reason Cher Ami is so famous, it got the Dickens Medal. And um, obviously, Medal. you've probably come across people suggesting animals don't have cognizant thought. I'll leave this little story uh for you to think what you think um now it was a messenger pigeon now it's, obviously it's got a message put on its leg and it's mother motorcycle is to fly back to the three kilometers back to to base the headquarters to deliver the message unfortunately about halfway there Jeremy, um got shot and um had its wing uh very severely severed and damaged and it spun down to the ground unfortunately while it was on the ground a piece of shrapnel exploded away from it and wounded the bird in the chest. And um, again, a short time after, you wouldn't exactly call this bird lucky, um, a gas attack occurred and it was actually blinded (laughs) in the right eye. Um, You can't make these stories up, can you? It's so fantastic. Yet that bird walked the remaining distance Uh um, back to headquarters to deliver its message where it died in the the, uh, hand of the handler. Oh. And the message got through, the American 700 men were rescued. And uh, that bird was given the Dickens Medal, um, which is the highest order, like the Victoria Cross or the um, U.S. Congress Medal, I guess, in American terminology, Congressional Medal of Honor Bush, equivalency um, to the state. Wow.
0: Man, that is amazing. The the yeah. the yeah you see Nigel I have a deep appreciation for these animals mm-hmm. and I know what the relationship is between certainly veterans and their service animals. I think we recognize their uniqueness and I think we recognize what they bring and I certainly can tell you that in explosive ordnance disposal um, and certainly uh, dogs that are designed to go out and take down people as far as get them subdued enough to where people other people can get to them and restrain them they are they are valued members of the units that they serve in because they do it selflessly without any regard to personal safety and there are several cases i can think of in iraq of animals that were wounded and shot um or hurt in various ways and the dogs once um, all they wanted to do was get back up to their handler and and get back to being what they were and it's an interesting relationship and so I think, uh, yeah. I think what we'll do is we'll, we'll end this segment, and then we're going to launch into so, some more notable animals. I said canines specifically, and we can certainly focus on canines. I think that's appropriate. Cool. But let's let's take a break here, and then we'll end this segment, and we'll come back, and and we'll on the second segment we'll start with that. Does that sound good, Nigel? Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, no, no.
0: Okay, no problem. Okay, Nigel. Well, give us just you know what's going to happen anyway. We, yeah, we, yeah, 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 yeah. So. <laughs> For the audience, we have to do a little bit of uh, production magic. So, uh, we of course record this all at once, but then we broadcast it or we actually release it over a couple weeks. So, um, what do you think, Sarah, about Nigel?
2: What do I think about Nigel? I think he's amazing. <laughs> I could sit yeah. and listen to stories all day.
0: They're amazing stories, aren't they? Yeah. No one ever hears them except for no a very small them. community.
2: And what's sad is I think the animals are underappreciated.
0: There may be some of that, right?
1: Rotations is an experiment in student medical journalism. Rotations is the weekly podcast of all things medicine and science and is a part of the media and medicine family of medical storytelling. The opinions and comments expressed on Rotations do not reflect the official or unofficial positions of Ohio University, the Ohio University Heritage College of Osteopathic Medicine, or the Scripps College of Communications. Guests on Rotations are interviewed in an unopposed fashion so their ideas and opinions can be freely expressed. Rotations is produced by Todd Fredericks, edited by Brian Plow. Rotations is co hosted by a league of champions of all things medis- medical and a few people we pull off the street. Rotations is copyrighted, and while we welcome citations, tweets, Facebook likes, and other endorsements via word of mouth and social media, we reserve all rights to content. You may use Rotations content under the provisions of Creative Commons, but you cannot alter or edit the content in any manner without express permission of the content creators and you must cite Rotations as the source of any content derived from the podcast. We welcome any comments, and you can by e- contact us by emailing us at rotationspodcast@gmail.com, at gmail.com, tweeting us at rotationspcast, or by visiting mediainmedicine.com backslash rotations.
0: to talk about um, Port-au-Prince going to Haiti and people asking where they should pack yeah and so the question is is trying to explain to people who are well-meaning and really desirous of going and helping uh, you got to take all your logistics like you you have to take your logistics you know know, food, water, shelter get out of rain all that stuff you got to think about Um, do you talk about that in pre-hospital fellowship medicine like if you get deployed on with an urban search and rescue team you may be two or three weeks on your own do you talk about that Absolutely. Um, and I can reflect back on a lot of my experience with do. Ohio Test Course 1 when USAR when, um, when I went out for, so it was Hurricane Gustav, Hannah, and Ike, um, many years ago, that 2008, 2009 was going to be the first big hurricanes forecast after, uh, after Katrina. And I was gone for 17 days, not
2: um, with the crew.